0: everyone, welcome to Learning Music with the Authors, where every piece of music is a story and every piece of music has a story. Today I'm interviewing the author of the Mozart season, the awesome Virginia E. Wolfe. And I'm reading this book again, and I love it. And I think this is a book that will be very valuable to young people. And I think they really benefit from reading this. So when I was reading it, I noticed you've got the violin, Technology, spot on. So I know you played. So how old were you when you started playing the violin and what's your musical story, with the violin?
1: (sighs) Well, first of all, thank you, Sue, for inviting me. And um, I started at age eight and I had had one year of piano lessons. So I could essentially read the, I could read the middle of the keyboard and I could, Kind I could read music, um, and when I started violin, I didn't have to go below G, so the lower part of the <laughs> bass clef <clears throat> didn't. I didn't have too much to do with that later. I mean, from then on, <clears throat> I started at age eight in a group, a, a group lesson, and then went on to single lesson, individual lessons, and I studied all the way through high school. Then in college, I had another fascinating, lovely teacher. And then I stopped playing after college for about 15 years. And that's my greatest crime against the violin. And then when I went back, it was horrifying. How bad I sounded was horrifying about maybe 18 years, you know, I stretched the 15 years out, I couldn't quite face lessons again. And eventually I did and got another really lovely teacher. So I played a whole bunch in my life, a whole bunch, but I didn't discover quartet playing until I was way middle aged grown up. Had I lived in a city and found quartets, I'd probably be a different girl today. Uh, had I found how much fun a second violinist can have yeah. now I'm a lifelong second violinist I love playing amateur quartets um, and uh, I'll attempt almost anything if the people are nice enough
0: yeah.
1: um, and that's 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 it that's the timeline I don't know oh and my name is Virginia Ewer-Wolf and I use the whole thing E U W E R. And the Mozart season is dedicated to my parents who gave me music and they are the Ewers. Or it's my it's my maiden name, although my dad wasn't a maiden when he gave it to me. I love anyway, that name. That's it's <clears throat> a complicated, complicated name. One of those three name lady writers. Uh,
0: I well, yes, yeah, I like the middle name your what nationality is
1: that? Oh, we don't really know. It may have been changed. One one source, or more than one source, seemed to say that um, a Eward, Y O U R D, came from Ireland in the late 1790s to this country. And it seems from other records, cemetery records, and so on, that that Eward may have changed his name to E U W E R. So it may be a changed name. But it's, I've been told that we are Scots Irish, but as far as I know, the ewer could be Welsh. It's got all those vowels.
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> so I don't know.
1: It's probably from the British Isles. Could be. And I haven't had a DNA test that would show, you know, how much of a percentage I'm this and how much of a percentage I'm that.
0: I never thought of doing that. It'd be kind of fun to do, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you, you you do violin and that that led you to writing this story and i know we had a story about page turning and everything because that's a big part of allegra's work is turning pages right (laughs) and um, so what led you to write this particular story about allegra and the block
1: competition and all that well it was probably brewing in my mind in one form or another for decades um Various things prompted it. The most most direct prompt came when I was in Portland, Oregon where I was living at the time. And I went to an outdoor concert in a circular kind of arena where the audience sat on steps and down on the, the open town square arena kind of place where the performers and a string quartet was playing and Portland has breezy summer evenings so every every musician had clothespins at the top and clothespins at the bottom outer corners of the music. And there were four additional people there, four players, four page turners. And I I was no stranger to page turners, but I thought, well, isn't this interesting? And of course, the four parts have different page turns, have page turns at different times. So the page turners, (laughs) excuse me, who were sitting demurely, as invisibly as they could beside the beside the performers, were standing up at different times, reaching their arms across, undoing the clothespins, turning the page at precisely the right moment, getting it turned at precisely the right moment, and getting the clothespins clipped on again. And I thought, I mean, I know what's going on because I know about page turning and playing, but people who were seeing this for the first time, what would they think? It, <laughs> Eight people, it, it takes eight people to play a string quartet. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, maybe this one, I have a, a child character and she's turning pages. And the cellist is her dad. Now that part came really quickly and easily. The rest of it was a really hard book to write. But um, it didn't, it, it moved slowly and haltingly from there. Oh, and... Her name was going to be Antonia for Vivaldi. And she was going to spend her summer turning pages for people and getting nickels and dimes and quarters Uh for each page turn. And they would be friends of her family. And the book would be called Turning. And it would be about this summer in a girl's life. Luckily, that book didn't get written um, because it had no plot. And then when the idea of a competition came to me, I thought, Oh, yeah. of course and the competition and it didn't occur to me till I was way advanced in the first draft that somebody had to win the competition I had not even thought of it which is evidence of how little winning really means to me Mm -hmm. because I really do believe the idea is the journey but when I grasped the fact that there had to be several more finalists and somebody had to win. That's one of the times when the book got really, really hard to write. I didn't know who was gonna win. I didn't know, and I I didn't even ask who was gonna win until way late in the, the first draft and somebody had to. So that's a part of how I, got prompted from my brain and my gut to begin writing this book and during that time the four years that the book took i went to a lot of student competitions and i didn't watch them play so much as i watched their feet and their eyebrows you know because because that's what i needed to know about
0: that's cool. You know, that's the one thing I liked about this book. And I think it's, it's because it's a journey. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, and that's what life is really. So for me, when I was reading it, um, I got it years ago, I started reading it and I really wanted my students to read it oh. because I wanted them to know that.
1: Your violin students.
0: Oh yeah. My violin students. Thanks. Right, um, yeah. I wanted them to read it and they're, they're reading it now. Oh. And um, because I, I think sometimes people get so caught up in the competition of everything. Mm-hmm. They don't, they forget that, that they're living their life right now, you know, and it's supposed to be about them and how they feel. And that's, and I, am not going to give away anything in the book because everyone's reading it and I want them all to meet you and ask their own questions in their own way, you know, and what they got from the book. And, um, and before I interviewed you too, I was looking up YouTube videos of, of what kids thought of your book, because like, kids have done a lot of little videos about your book and it was so touching to me i told you i'm gonna send you that one i actually got teary-eyed i thought right see what they see is that that this is a journey for them and Mm. they're like that one girl in the video is she was letting go of her piano lessons and she was very Mm. she was having a hard time about it but she knew she had to go on and that's part of your journey is is either hanging on to things that you know that are valuable to you and then letting go of something that might be valuable but You're not sure you want to continue right now. I mean, she can come back to it later, you know, but that's what I loved about this book. And that's that's why all of my students are reading it right
1: now. Thank you, Sue. The, on the, in the first edition of the Mozart season, the back jacket has her vocabulary list. Oh, I like that. And it's um, in handwriting, in a kid's writing. It looks like a kid's writing. And the first, ver- first word on her vocabulary list for the summer is tenacity. So uh, when you're speaking of a of, of student who is letting the piano go, I, we learn an awful lot through holding on, through, through tenacity. But I think the lessons are so slowly incremental that we don't see them as quickly as we do the lessons we learn from letting something go. And that lesson, starts to set in and sets in in ways that maybe we hadn't expected. And I don't, I don't know which are the more important lessons in life. I, they probably are equal if I really put my head on my pillow at night trying to go to sleep and thinking, well, which is more important, tenacity or letting go? I think they'll come out equal because they both teach us. The feeling yeah. that I let my, violin let my violin playing go for 15 years, that was another thing that prompted me to write the book because I felt so horrible, regretful. I don't believe that there's such a thing as a life without regrets, but one of my deepest regrets then was letting my violin the violin go. And um, that's another reason I wanted to write the book. When I play in volunteer orchestras, I meet lots and lots of people, string players and wind players and so on, I don't mean and so on, string and winds and brasses, yeah. but many, many string players who let their instrument go. And there's, there's kind of a, maybe a little secret society of us who we have experienced the deep, deep, profound, foul humiliation of coming back to it.
0: Yeah, the violin
1: can do that, man. It's a tough yes. instrument to play. <laughs> They're an abusive instrument when it's been when it's been ignored yeah
0: yeah it's um it, oh, I think
1: was it do you know this Joshua Bell has quoted his teacher Joseph Gingold uh-huh. I think it was Gingold who said sometimes the vile sometimes the fingerboard just stares at you and says I dare you <laughs> oh
0: yeah I bet that was Gingold What was the other one? Said he said something about you spend the first eight years of your life playing, learning the violin, and the rest of your life fixing what you learned the first eight years. Oh boy! I think that was Gengle too. I don't. I don't
1: know that one. I. I yeah. There's a lot to fix.
0: I'm still fixing stuff right now. (laughs) Practicing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then, and you're talking about teachers too. The first on the first page, um, it was. in mr kaplan's studio is a needlepoint pillow on a chair the very first page on the side on one side of it is a violin the other side says a teacher is someone who makes you believe you can do it i love that that's so, true. yes and that is one of the things because i've been teaching for 25 years and that's the one thing i learned from my students is that mm-hmm. when i'm teaching I have absolutely no business telling them what they can do it's all about my business is helping them get to where they want to be and that's that's what i love about mr kaplan in this book is mm. he's that person you know
1: oh thanks. thanks when i was working on the mozart season there were a lot of books for young readers in which the teachers were the bad guy it was it was a good idea to make fun of the teachers in school, wherever we met them. You know, Ferris Bueller's day off, the teachers are not the heroes. Not the best in that. Yeah, I remember that movie. Uh, but, um, I wanted a teacher who would be a really good guy. Could have been a good woman too. I just, I happened to choose a guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think he is, he is a good guy try not to get into the story because then I, I want my students to read, but, um, yeah, and I think that's what he does with her. He, he show he gives her advice. He, he lets her do what she needs to do, and then he, he gets out of the way for her, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even, so I, yeah, I think that was, I think this is such a great book. I hope I get more people reading it. I'm gonna put this out. And let me see what time it is. Do I have to end this soon? Yes. I have one more question. <laughs> sure. One more. And for you, like, what as an author, when you're writing this, did you want the kids or young people or anyone reading this book to get something out of it, something of your story? What would that be
1: that you would want them to take away? Oh, I suppose it's that first vocabulary word, tenacity. Also, I wanted to, um, well, I wanted to use words like allegretto and sforzando if they were used without a glossary. I didn't want anybody to have to look anything up. So I wanted it to be accessible. And when we read a book about a soccer player or a horseback rider, we, we learn a bit of the vocabulary of it. And we think what fun that would be. And I wanted to bring that in. What fun it would be to play the violin, even though it's the most punishing practicing it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's what I wanted. I also, oh yes, I wanted to encourage kids not to quit their lessons. When middle school and then high school gets so absorbing and so distracting and so diffuse, and there's so many things you have to do I'm gonna quit my music lessons first. Oh no! Oh no! Please, I would suggest you quit soccer or quit class officer before you before you quit the viol- uh, the yeah. music, whatever it is—trumpet, piccolo, drums, piano.
0: That must be it, you know, because when I'm when I'm teaching, when kids turn 15, they want to quit. Not all of them; a couple of them <clears throat> have stayed, but. And that must be it. It must just be, they are bombarded with so many things that that's, that they have to let something go. And that's yeah. one of the things. Yeah. And I think even in schools, like in, in the public schools, I don't know about where you are, but here like the first things that get cut you know, oh, the, yeah. the arts. The and that's oh my gosh, the self expression of that, especially around that age. is very important for them to express themselves because they're finding out who they are yeah you know and they're they're turning into an adult and i think carrying that music and the arts with them will help them you know show themselves in different ways and understand themselves in different ways so
1: and when the when the public schools have had to cut the arts first you know we count on those private citizens to come in and and fill this gaping abyss there was a woman years and years ago who set up a wonderful violin program in the New York City schools. And I just saw an interview with Midori. I was reminded that Midori, the violinist, has, yeah. has a huge, vast program for keeping kids with music, keeping kids in that loving, loving and punishing world. But also, I believe that one of the most fun things you can do is make music in groups. Oh yeah. I Absolutely.
0: Love it. I
1: love sitting in the middle of a second violin section making music in the group.
0: Yes you're right in fact I remember where I was playing we were playing I was how old was I I think I was 16 and I got invited to play with the group um what was when I was they were they were performing the barber's adagio for strings. Oh yes. And mm-hmm. I was sitting in there It was in the back they let me sit in the back and I was playing and then you know the music rises and rises and then the apex of the piece is that dead silence you know and i remember sitting there in the silence and thinking this is what i want to do i want to oh, do this like it just hit me it was such a like and so from then on you know i was i mean i had practiced before but i think after barber that experience with the strings, like i was practicing like oh my gosh i doubled up i was like four hours a day you know That's... but the problem was i wasn't practicing right Ugh. oh well, I like the automatic stuff, but- Oh yeah.
1: Okay, still playing. The, the muscle memory. And we never know which book is gonna be the one who, that turns a kid into a reader is a turning point in his or her life, maybe makes a moral choice. Which violin piece, which, which piece, you know, when you listen to classical music stations, you hear people all the time saying, oh, it was hearing such and such. Oh, it was that Dvorak. Oh, it was that Brahms, you know oh I didn't know anything about music until I heard the Schubert this you know it's different with different people yeah it I, is. I also I also know that kids can't really say why it is they love their instrument in any way that I understand it they just do
0: yeah
1: oh I meant to tell you what's that three specific words I refused to use in the book and nobody was asking me to. Gifted doesn't appear, talented doesn't appear, and prodigy doesn't appear, I think. You're right. I
0: I certainly did
1: not want to use gifted and talented. I kind of, when I hear people say, oh, did you hear that solo, she's so talented? what about the decades she put in prac into practicing too right. talent is very nice very nice
0: but it's love. yeah it's, and you know what gets you i think through the work is the love of what you're doing yeah. you know someone was saying to me well i homeschool so someone said well how's your son going to learn how to get up early for work and i said if he loves what he does he'll get up early yeah. and, and i want him more to love what he does than to feel like he's getting up and I've, I've had to do, I've had to work jobs I couldn't stand. And oh, yeah. getting up in the mornings, no fun. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I loved teaching kids, but I really hated the getting up in the morning.
0: Oh, I hate getting up. I've just <laughs> lived my whole life so I can get up late. I'm not kidding
1: you.
0: Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I can read all day and practice and do my mm-hmm. violin stuff and talk to amazing people like you. I'm so glad I met you and thank you for responding
1: we have to keep in touch and oh thank you thank you i'm glad you found me uh glad you bothered to try to uh, find me i well, think a life, life is bothering to try you're right because you don't know and i
0: always tell my kids of like you know my students and my son if something's not working right now that doesn't mean it's not going to work later this right. is now so you're building you know it's yeah so, yeah. yeah, and that's actually another thing you can get from this book is that the tenacity in the building of mm-hmm. of things in your life, making your life what you want of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's that's my takeaway from your book. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank and you. thank you so much. My and pleasure. My pleasure. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing you for the book club, and I'm going to interview Annelle because she wants to talk about your book too. Such oh, a sweet of her. Yeah. Yeah. She's cool. All right. Um, Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.